0: Welcome to New Mexico in Focus, the podcast for Friday, August 6, 2021. I'm your host, Kevin McDonald, an executive producer here at New Mexico PBS, and we hope you have had a terrific week. As with most around here, it has been busy, it has been hectic, but we've got a lot of great stuff we want to share with you from all of our coverage and discussions this week. This episode will focus primarily on our line opinion panel discussions from the week that was. And as usual, we want to start letting you know by letting you know who is on the line opinion panel this week. We've got regulars, Tom Garrity of the Garrity Group, also Laura Sanchez, an attorney. And we welcome back Eric Riego, former state senator. And we kick things off. This week, by following up on a story we talked about last week with a different folks of line panelists, that is the scandal enveloping uh, now former state lawmaker Cheryl Williams Stapleton. She was the House majority floor leader, and her home and business was uh, raided last week by uh, the Attorney General's investigators over a potential racketeering scam where she was funneling money uh, in her job with Albuquerque Public Schools, allegedly into uh, her own pocketbook, some of those funds, while also uh, securing that contract for that company with Albuquerque Public Schools. We know several other people with APS have also been put on paid administrative leave. And right after we discussed it last week, Cheryl Williams Stapleton did announce her resignation from the legislature, which led to a meeting of House Democratic leadership over the weekend. Uh, many thought they would go ahead and replace her leadership position, but they placed an interim in in that position and will look for a long-term solution down the road. So, a lot of aftershock of this story that is still resonating very much this week and want to jump in with the line panel to get their thoughts. Here now, host Jean Grant.
1: That didn't take long within days of being accused, though not yet formally charged, of funneling nearly $1 million from Albuquerque Public Schools to accounts and businesses she controlled. Representative Cheryl William Stapleton resigned her seat in the legislature. APS reported the suspected scheme to the attorney general this spring and by last week, Ms. Stapleton's high-profile political career had come to an end. Joining us now to talk about the fallout, our line opinion panel, line regular and PR pro Tom Garrity returns. So too does attorney and another regular. Laura Sanchez is with us. And joining us as our special guest star this week is former state senator Eric Riego. All right, guys, the allegations are that Ms. William Stapleton, who was the director of career and technical education at APS, used her position to guide $5 million of sole source contract money to a company with close ties to her, eventually sharing almost $1 million for herself. That's an allegation, not a criminal charge yet, and Ms. William Stapleton denies it. But it seems she saw the writing on the wall. And Eric, are you surprised and how quickly she resigned, and what I mean by that is the language that's come out of her and her attorney after the resignation sounds like she wants to stand up and fight this thing. So why, why did she resign so quickly? That's a great question. It, it didn't make sense
2: to me. I mean, I think it was the honorable thing to do, and obviously she's innocent and, until you know these are these allegations are proven. But, mm-hmm. but it doesn't send a really good signal if you're uh, you know really innocent to resign. I mean contrast to what's happening with cuomo for example like you know they're going to have to drag him out of that office and those are much more serious allegations Um, and so so i i I, you know i i respect the decision i think if you're her attorney and i'm not an attorney i'll defer to laura on that one like they they uh you know it probably makes it harder to say like why would you resign if you didn't do anything wrong Mm -hmm. um i've read the complaints and the and the uh it looks pretty serious, like pretty serious stuff. And um, I, I, I think I just want to make sure that this doesn't just become about her. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the problem is, you know, some real lack of oversight. I mean, we don't have the institutions, the laws in place that really hold not just legislators but executive branch folks accountable to these kinds of uh, ethics and, and and corruption. You know, and we're we're hearing multiple stories right now. There's, you know, in the last few months, there've been five or six. Uh, elected officials in both parties who who have you know questionable sort of behavior and ties to companies and mm-hmm. capital alley and so on and you know some of them will get investigated some of them won't so um i do think it speaks to the, this need for much more oversight and maybe more independent oversight maybe even a, a state inspector general or something to look at allegations mm-hmm. like this as opposed to hoping the legislature or the new ethics commission can deal with it because i just don't think they have the uh the power to, to really do anything substantial, but but in this case, it's risen to the level of a obviously a, 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 a
1: federal. There's federal money involved, so right. that's gonna that's, that's gonna right. Make the so. it complicates everything exactly right there, Laura. You know, there's an obvious question sort of hanging out there. Might as well get to to it. Are other broader implications for New Mexico Democrats here.
3: Well, it's definitely you know, uh, <laughs> it's a black eye. I think for for any Democrat in the state, it's it's a real mm-hmm. loss. I think for somebody who's been in that, in the leadership position for so long, uh-huh. um, to then have this kind of thing come out. You know, it's not the first time that we've seen people in high places fall like this. Um, the Albuquerque journal had, uh, just a list of, of who's, who of people who'd have been involved in scandals, yep. been removed, been through criminal charges, served time, you know, both parties. And so it's, it's really unfortunate, but I think that the democratic party and, and as we saw right after she resigned, it was a quick move for the caucus. They got together, they, uh-huh. um, someone in as the majority for leader um, at least interim until they can have an election in about two weeks um, and so you know at least they moved quickly to do that but I think from a personal level well, let me ask you a question
1: Laura if I, if I could uh, sort of related to what I asked uh, Eric a second ago is it your sense that the majority leader uh, really leaned on Ms. Stapleton to resign perhaps earlier than if she had a chance to sit back and think about it she might not have I mean it seemed to me go ahead I'm sorry I'm, I'm sorry, do you mean the Speaker of the House? Speaker of the House, Maybe yes, sorry. Mm-hmm.
3: Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, yeah. Certainly there was pressure.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and I will say that, you know, I agree with Eric. When somebody resigns, uh, suddenly there's questions, right, about, um, mm-hmm. you know, is there some guilt there, whatever. But at the same time, when you're in the middle of a storm like that, and I've, I've not been in the middle of a criminal investigation, I can only imagine the stress involved with that. But I mm-hmm. have been in the middle of a public debacle, <laughs> SO TO SPEAK um, WITH IN THE PARTY AND WHEN YOU'RE IN THE MIDDLE OF THAT STORM, you're, YOU'RE REALLY LOOKING TO TRY TO FIGURE OUT HOW TO, YOU KNOW, FOCUS.
0: Yeah. AND
3: if HER FOCUS, WHICH I THINK APPROPRIATELY SO, NEEDS TO BE ON THE INVESTIGATION, THE CRIMINAL SIDE OF IT, DEALING WITH ALL OF THAT, CLEARING HER NAME, SOUNDS LIKE THAT'S A GOAL, mm-hmm. THEN DEALING WITH ALL THE PUBLIC PRESSURE AND, and YOU KNOW, CALLS TO RESIGN can be a real distraction and can pull a person apart very quickly. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I would like to take a measured approach here. It's not any different than the way I per, uh, proceeded or commented when <laughs> Diego was going through his part and mm-hmm. his issues. Um, you know, we'll wait and see in terms of the investigation, but there certainly is enough in there for a federal grand jury subpoena even, which is, uh, you know, pretty serious. Of course, there's been other people who have had federal subpoenas like Bill Richardson and nothing came of that. That's so, right. You know,
1: That's right. There's That's arguments right. on both sides. Let me get Tom in here real quick. Tom, you know, interestingly, uh, Eric mentioned about the red flags. And I'm curious, you're an ex-APS guy. You're also an (laughs) ex-legislative guy. I mean, you've kind of seen this from both ends of the world here. What's, you know, is there a fundamental problem here with APS when it comes to oversight
4: in these kind of sole source contracts? What are we looking at here? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that there's an issue with sole source contracts, period, regardless of if it's in uh, Albuquerque Public Schools or state of New Mexico or anywhere. Yeah, good point. <clears throat> uh, just because I think that that has some um, um, always leaves the door open for, you know, a, a lot of different issues um, specific to APS. You know, in this particular case, Renette Apodaca, uh, the person with APS who actually discovered this, uh, you know, she deserves accolades, uh, you know, for really kind of, you know, following her sense and having it. Um, investigated, mm-hmm. of course, as uh, both Eric and Laura have said, uh, you know, uh, Sherr William Stapleton is innocent uh, until proven guilty. And so we just need to kind of keep an eye on that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, to your question about, uh, you know, it, uh, is the bureaucracy, you know, too big, you know, there's, uh, there are a lot of different entities who are looking at this, uh, mm-hmm. you know, supposedly everybody from, uh, you know, the state, Attorney General to you know the uh, you know the United States government, so a lot of different entities taking a look at this. Right. Hey, Eric, how yeah. does
1: APS come out of this? You know, on the one hand, the alleged crimes went on for years, as we know now. On the other, the new superintendent, as we now you mentioned, Scott Elder, put his name to a letter requesting the AG's help. Well, you know, we've got. I'll add to that, we've got a bunch of folks at APS now on leave, as a matter of fact, been placed on leave. So who knows what's going to come out of that situation? So how does APS crawl back from this and say, you know what, guys, we fixed this. We know exactly what's going on here. Well, I just I'm in the camp that says, you
2: know, lots of people like to pile on to APS and they've got uh, sure got their problems. But Mm -hmm. I think we have to have the institutions in place to really have some oversight. You know, we have a state auditor uh, whose job it is to oversee this kind of stuff at the local level. They Mm -hmm. they audit state government, local governments. They audit school, school districts um, by statute. And so uh, the question is for everybody piling on APS now is like, where, were, where, where was the oversight, right? Not just at APS, mm-hmm. which obviously they brought it to the attention of the authorities, which I think was, was good and appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, but the question is, do we have the entities, the institutions in place, uh, to do this and I, and I don't think we do because ah. if we did i think, I think we would have caught this sooner so I, you know I when when I was on uh, council in Albuquerque we needed an inspector general because we had some of the same behavior happening in yeah. local government yeah. and we created inspector general uh, not everybody was crazy about that but we were it's it's been one more tool to really provide some independent oversight right independent that's the key thing remember, uh, the, the folks who do this oversight right now are, are partisan officials. They're either colleagues of people accused or they're members of a party. So that I don't know that that's the best system and what a lot of states have and a lot of cities and, and uh, uh, even at the federal level uh, agencies have is an independent inspector general to look at this exact kind of behavior in school systems and so on and not hope that. You have the internal capacity, whether you're a big school system like APS or a smaller school system like Floyd, we're going to talk about next, you know, mm-hmm. to really have the ability to, to regularly, not one every, once every 10 years, as right. we, you know, regularly keep an eye on this sort of behavior and, and right. contracting conflicts um and all the things that, that we're finding out may or may not have, have have happened in this case tom
1: i got a tough one for you in less than a minute um actually we're gonna move on this group returns in a few minutes oh, i gotta no, I, know. I know what you're gonna ask I I, know i'm sorry, gonna we have time there we will we, we'll oh. come back in a few minutes to talk about new restrictions and <laughs> requirements for going back to work and school this fall
0: The COVID cases are on the rise once again. I know that's not the news any of us want to hear, but uh, routinely up over 400, 500 cases a day now. And a lot of this, as we know, is because of the uh, transmissibility of the Delta variant of COVID-19, which is much higher than the original strain and is uh, also still very transmittable, even through those who have been vaccinated, leading to a lot of changes. This thing, These things are changing minute by minute, it feels like. But UNM has now backtracked on their plan to make vaccine vaccinations voluntary with incentive programs. Those will now be mandatory as of September 30th for students, staff, and faculty. NMSU in Las Cruces followed suit for faculty and staff anyway, and mask mandates are back throughout Albuquerque public schools, Uh, much to the chagrin of some parents who actually shut down the APS school board meeting earlier this week to voice their frustrations about all of that, and so lots to digest as kids are getting ready to go back to school. Some have already started. APS will start in next week, and a lot of frustrations on all sides. But uh, again, the balancing act between uh, keeping everyone as safe as possible uh, while not inconveniencing people unnecessarily. It's an argument and a debate that is not going anywhere anytime soon. But let's head back to Gene Grant and the Line panel for some more thoughts and discussions.
1: Regardless of how much we'd love to be returning to a normal school year or a more normal work environment, COVID-19 has other plans. The Delta variant of the novel coronavirus has driven new case counts to their highest level in months right here in New Mexico as well. The more contagious strain is relatively easy for even vaccinated people to spread, and it's forced employers and school districts to rethink their plans. And, Tom, schools across the state are now following CDC guidelines requiring masks for students and staff. And as we've talked about before on the show, I've asked a question I'll ask you. KIDS ARE GOING TO BE BACK IN SCHOOL, AND THAT WAS THE MAIN CRY OF FRUSTRATION FROM SO MANY LAST YEAR. SHOULD MASKS REALLY BE THAT BIG OF AN ISSUE NOW? I MEAN, A LOT OF KIDS HAVE GOT THIS DOWN. THEY JUST KNOW WHAT TO DO.
4: WELL, YOU KNOW, I I THINK THAT MASKS ARE AN ISSUE BECAUSE Mm -hmm. uh, COVID IS STILL AN ISSUE. GOTCHA. YOU KNOW, CDC GUIDELINES ARE REALLY GOING TO BE, YOU KNOW, WHAT DRIVES uh, THE NARRATIVE, NOT JUST HERE IN NEW MEXICO, BUT THROUGHOUT THE COUNTRY. AND, uh, YOU KNOW, BUT THE, the side, THE, YOU KNOW, THE, the mask issue is really just the side story. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the main story or the main feature event is gonna be once the uh, COVID vaccine is approved and part of the FDA, uh, you know, regimen, will it be the 11th vaccine that's required in order to attend public schools? Ah. And if so, how are the school districts going to enforce all 11 vaccinations? And is PED, Public Education Department, gonna be just as diligent To remove school boards if they don't follow the vaccination protocols as identified by the Department of Health. Mm -hmm. Um, So you know, this is the mask issue is simply you know it's a very important issue, and uh, you know Albuquerque Public Schools. Santa Fe Public Schools, Las Cruces Public Schools, three of the four largest school districts in New Mexico, have gone above and beyond the public education department requirements. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a good thing because they're just kind of staying away from that line of controversy. And they're just saying, we're going to embrace this full force. But again, I think that's just the side issue. The main event is still ahead. Yeah, good
1: point there. Uh, Laura, interestingly, you've seen on the news vaccine requirements are on the rise. Federal employees, state employees, students, staff, At UNM and employees at NMSU as well, Uh, all have to be vaccinated or submit to more aggressive testing. And Laura, those employers have wondered if they have the power to do this. Interesting legal question. Now that the virus is back with a vengeance, you know, uh, those worries seem to have been set aside, haven't they? Or have they? (laughs) Which which side do you see it on?
3: Well, I think there's there's probably some that believe that there's still a legal argument to be made there, but, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a public health emergency. a LOT OF JUST AS WHEN THERE'S A you know NATIONAL EMERGENCY OF ANOTHER KIND, WHEN WE HAD TERRORISM CONCERNS AND OUR CIVIL LIBERTIES WERE BEING ERODED, I MEAN, A PUBLIC EMERGENCY IS A WHOLE DIFFERENT, A PUBLIC HEALTH EMERGENCY IS mm-hmm. A WHOLE DIFFERENT ANIMAL. Mm-hmm. AND THERE'S VERY CLEAR um, STATUTORY AUTHORITY ABOUT uh, ACTIONS THAT THE GOVERNOR AND THE GOVERNMENT IN GENERAL CAN TAKE IN ORDER TO PROTECT LIVES, IN ORDER TO KEEP PEOPLE SAFE. Mm-hmm. AND I THINK THAT, YOU KNOW, WHAT WE'RE TALKING ABOUT IS IN PARTICULAR THE PED AND THEIR RULES AND REGULATIONS. YOU KNOW, I, th- I WORKED AT A LAW FIRM THAT REPRESENTED A LOT OF DIFFERENT SCHOOL DISTRICTS AROUND THE STATE. Um, AND WE HAD TO WARN THEM. YOU HAD TO TELL THESE uh, SCHOOL BOARD MEMBERS SOMETIMES, YOU NEED TO REMEMBER THAT, YES, YOU'RE IN AN ELECTED POSITION, BUT YOU'RE NOT IN, in you know, A WHOLE SEPARATE COUNTRY. LIKE, YOU'RE NOT YOUR OWN LITTLE fiefdom. YOU STILL HAVE TO FOLLOW THE RULES AND THE LAWS AND THE GUIDELINES, um, THE REGULATIONS THAT the, THE PUBLIC EDUCATION DEPARTMENT LAYS OUT. AND IF YOU DON'T, PED COULD TAKE YOU OVER. And I think that's what we're seeing happening now with Floyd. Um, it's a very small school district, but also, you know, the, these kinds of concerns are rampant throughout the southeastern part of the state. Um, but they're not isolated to that area. Mm-hmm. We've seen protests in Santa Fe as well. That's right. Along the line. So yep. um, I think we're going to continue to see more people really unhappy.
1: Interesting point that the Santa Fe protests like materialized out of nowhere just very quickly. Eric, interesting in the employer employee realm of things, I'm interested in your thoughts about. You know, the alternative to vaccination is, as I mentioned, the frequent testing. And it's almost as if folks are saying, you know what, we're going to drive you crazy enough to get vaccinated. <laughs> or we're, gonna, we're literally going to force you into it by the, being a, a pain in your literally arm. Uh, is this the way to go? Is it going to be effective? I mean, how do you see this with this, how the employer-employee employee thing is trying to, you know, trying to work to motivate folks? Well, I wish folks would just sort of buy into the
2: science. There's been so much misinformation, such lack of leadership, uh, you know, from lots of folks that, you know, people that it's created this uh, mistrust in the science, mistrust Mm -hmm. in the institutions like the CDC. So now you have, now we're trying to push back on this sort of, you know, this, this, this mindset among a lot of folks that they just don't trust, you know, the basic, you know, we're talking about institutions, the basic institutions that are supposed to sort of and the science that's supposed to be governing. And, and as Laura said, this is not about politics, this is about public health, right? And I right. think that's a different animal. So um, if that's the only tool that employers have, you know, maybe that'll be enough. I wish that it, uh, that uh, it wouldn't come to that, that you wouldn't have to like uh, really make people uncomfortable and, and uh, have to sub- sub- submit to sort of all sorts of additional testing. I wish it was just mm-hmm. out of the shared sense of community and it's the right thing to do um but we're not there um right. and there's a lot we can all debate why that is is it social media is it you know is it partisan politics polarization whatever you you think the explanation is donald trump the but the, the fact remains that we have a real problem and the counties ironically you know uh, uh, tom mentioned the press release from rebecca dow in the governor's race about local control local control and you heard that from a lot of republican legislators well you know what we don't have the luxury of having local control over public health issues. We can't decide that employees don't have to wash their hands because we want local control. We can't decide to, to sort of throw caution to the wind because we don't like something we want local control. That's not the way our, our democracy works. It Mm -hmm. simply doesn't work that way. You have to do what's best. We are a community we're a democracy and we have to do what's right for, for the, for the common good. And, and in this case, it's, it's protecting public health. It's protecting kids. And the last thing I'll say, Gene, is, you know, the the new data is showing that more kids are getting yep. subjected yep. to, uh, you know, fine. and and most of them are doing fine, but there are a few who are having serious long term consequences. And I hope mm-hmm. folks who are just so adamant against wearing masks or adamant against getting these vaccinations will think about those under twelve kids who are going to be really disproportionately affected as we go forward in terms of new cases. Good points there. No, um, uh, GO AHEAD, LAURA. Jean,
3: we're also ON THE VERGE of, OF THE APPROVAL, THE OFFICIAL APPROVAL FROM FDA ON OF THE VISOR, OF THE Pfizer, EXCUSE ME, VACCINE. Mm-hmm. SO, YOU KNOW, I JUST HEARD THIS MORNING AS OF THE TIME OF THIS TAPING ON THURSDAY THAT uh, that, THAT WAS uh, REALLY EXPECTED ANY DAY NOW. SO mm-hmm. I'M WONDERING IF THAT'S GOING TO CHANGE THINGS. I'M HOPING IT WILL THAT PEOPLE WHO HAD THE ARGUMENT ABOUT HOW THIS WAS NOT a, right. a AN APPROVED VACCINE WILL NOW CHANGE THEIR TUNE. THEY REALLY NEED TO GET ON BOARD BECAUSE THIS IS JUST THERE'S NO POINT IN PLAYING WITH YOUR LIFE LIKE
1: THIS. Mm-hmm. GLAD YOU GOT THAT IN THERE. I HAVE A LOT OF FRIENDS ON FACEBOOK WHO, ha- who HUNG EVERYTHING ON THIS FDA THING. LIKE EVERYTHING is, IS ON THIS. HEY, TOM, ERIC BROUGHT UP REPUBLICANS A SECOND AGO, AND I GOT TO ASK YOU, THEY WERE you know, SWIFT TO criticize THE GOVERNOR AND HOPEFUL CHALLENGER FOR THE GOP, JAY BLOCK SAYS HE'S GOING TO SUE THE GOVERNOR ON BEHALF OF STATE EMPLOYEES. I DON'T KNOW ABOUT THE LEGAL STANDING FOR HIM THERE. LAURA MIGHT HAVE A THOUGHT ON THAT. BUT uh, THE ELECTION IS MORE THAN A YEAR AWAY. DOES THIS ISSUE HAVE legs?
4: Uh, yes, I mean, uh, you know, every issue right now has legs. I mean, you, what in essence you have an outgoing public education secretary mm-hmm. uh, who I think is on the job for another two weeks, uh, who has now suspended members of two different school boards. So, right. um, you know, that will definitely get traction at least in those two areas, uh, you know, Los Lunas and then again in Floyd. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, this this is the type of stuff that you know. Um, YOU KNOW, POLITICAL STRATEGISTS LOVE BECAUSE mm-hmm. THEY FIGURE, WELL, WHAT'S THAT What's that BASE GOING TO BE? BUT, YOU KNOW, MORE IMPORTANTLY, I THINK IT COMES DOWN TO TWO THINGS AS FAR AS THIS PARTICULAR ISSUE, um, LIVES AND uh, BUSINESS. Uh, YOU KNOW, FROM LIVES, YOU KNOW, THAT'S ONE THING THAT uh, THE GOVERNOR'S OFFICE HAS BEEN REALLY SUCCESSFUL AT DOING IS SHOWING HOW THEY'VE, uh, THEIR ACTIONS HAVE HELPED TO PREVENT uh, additional loss of life and how it's been a benefit for New Mexico residents. On the other side, uh, the Republicans are going to take a look at how it's impacted small business and uh, economic livelihoods. So, mm-hmm. you know, this issue uh, with the with the Floyd Public Schools uh, will definitely get a lot of attention. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it'll be thrown into the mix. AND uh, USED BY BOTH SIDES, uh, YOU KNOW, RESPECTIVELY. I'D HAVE TO
1: AGREE WITH THAT. LAURA, uh, A COUPLE MORE MINUTES HERE. WE'RE A LITTLE LESS THAN THAT. CAN WE CONSIDER VACCINATIONS uh, IN THE SAME LIGHT WE'RE TALKING ABOUT HERE? WILL GETTING A COVID VACCINE OR booster SHOT REALLY BE A BIG DEAL NEXT YEAR? Uh, IS THE OPPOSITION TO THEM LASTING? AND I ASK THIS IN THIS CONTEXT, THERE IS uh, DATA OUT THERE THAT SHOWS THERE ARE FOLKS INCREASING THE TAKE RATE FOR VACCINATIONS IN THE SOUTHEASTERN PART OF THE COUNTRY, PLACES WHERE THEY'RE REALLY GETTING HAMMERED. THE MESSAGE IS STARTING TO PUNCH THROUGH FOR SOME FOLKS AND THEY'RE GETTING VACCINATIONS. CAN WE GET THERE IN NEW MEXICO AS WELL WITH THE WAY WE'RE DOING IT NOW? WELL,
3: YOU KNOW, I THINK in NEW MEXICO IN SOME WAYS, LIKE we, WE'RE SO ISOLATED mm-hmm. A LOT OF TIMES THE REALITY. WE DON'T HAVE THE URBAN AREAS where, WHERE IT'S SUCH. YOU KNOW, IN THE SOUTHEAST IN PARTICULAR, YES, THERE WERE CASES, BUT A LOT OF PEOPLE FELT LIKE IT WASN'T REALLY HITTING THEM IN That's THE right. SAME WAY. That's and right. unfortunately, in order for people to really jump on board, they're going to need to know people who, who died, mm-hmm. you know, know people who were affected and were impacted. And I know, I'm sure many of us know. I know several people yep. who died as a result of COVID. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think that it's going to take a little while. But I have to hope that by next year this time, more people will have gotten on board, that it becomes routine. Mm-hmm. But also, though, I mean, it's, it's fair to point out as well, there's plenty of anti-vaxxers out there about right. all the other vaccines as well. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I, I think Robert Kennedy Jr. is one of the anti-vaxxers. So as long as there's people out there who have fear about vac- vaccinations in general, we're still going to see some of this. I think what's what's troubling with this, with where we are now with it, is it's such a politicized thing. Right. It's not even about the science or the health. It's like it's a it's a Trump that's thing. Right. It's a conservative thing, um, which is ironic because Trump and his family were one of the first ones to get the vaccine.
2: Mm-hmm. So- and he developed it and, he, and he rushed the vaccine through like he took he took credit for getting the val- the vaccine out the door. Right. So, that's you, right. you know, that's how can
1: this right. be a
3: political thing? It's that's right. really.
1: We'll have to stop the conversation here for time. Up next, we have an interview with Congresswoman Teresa Ledger Fernandez. Then this group is back to talk about staffing trouble at a key legislative committee. We started off with the political
0: scandal. We're gonna pick up another political scandal here. You may have heard of this, the Legislative Education Study Committee, a very powerful committee of lawmakers that deal with education issues in the state course, there are paid staffers on that as well. And the director of the LESC, Rachel Cudgel, is a name you may have heard of. Usually these are folks you don't want to know their name. And we've heard her name a lot lately for all the wrong reasons, namely uh, some things she has said that are culturally insensitive and really damaging to Native American communities, especially in light of the Yazzie Martinez ruling, which said that the state in part was not providing Native American students the same kind of quality education as other students. That lawsuit continues. Rachel Cudgel has issued an apology, reached out to some Native leaders. But last Friday, there was a press conference at the All Indian Pueblo Tribal Council um, where they expressed uh, ongoing concerns and that lawmakers had not done enough to deal with that situation. There was a meeting of the LESC uh, leadership where they deadlocked on whether or not to keep her employed. This is delicate because it is a personnel matter, and so not a lot of it can be public, but just a very complicated issue here. If you want to know more about that press conference and where Native American leaders are coming from, you can find that on our Facebook and YouTube pages. We streamed that out as it happened. We're going to hear some of that in the lead up here to this discussion from Wilhelmina Yazzie. She is the namesake of that aforementioned lawsuit. But uh, anyway, we wanted to hear what the line folks think about this ongoing scandal and what they think should happen with Rachel Gudgel.
1: Rachel Gudgel is one of those names you should not know. She's the director of the Legislative Education Study Committee a POWERFUL YEAR-ROUND BODY THAT HAS HUGE INFLUENCE OVER THE BIGGEST CHUNK OF NEW MEXICO'S BUDGET EVERY YEAR. AFTER USING TERMS LIKE powwow AND SMOKE SIGNALS, DESPITE APPARENT PUSHBACK FROM STAFF, MS. GUDGEL ALLEGEDLY SAID, QUOTE, IT'S NOT LIKE MAKING BEADED SANDALS IS GOING TO IMPROVE STUDENT OUTCOMES, END QUOTE, WHILE AT A MEETING ON THE hickorya APACHE NATION. THAT PROMPTED LOUD COMPLAINTS, A PERSONNEL INVESTIGATION, AND AN ONGOING DEBATE ABOUT WHETHER THAT KIND OF BEHAVIOR... MEANT SHE COULD KEEP HER JOB, WHICH SHE HAS. MS. Ms. GUDGEL LAST WEEK APOLOGIZED FOR, IN HER WORDS, INSULTING AND HARMFUL COMMENTS SHE MADE. HER HOPE IS TO MOVE FORWARD WITH HER JOB, AND BY A RECENT VOTE, THE COMMITTEE DEADLOCKED ON HER DISMISSAL. BUT EVEN AFTER THAT APOLOGY WENT OUT, NATIVE LEADERS HELD A NEWS CONFERENCE TO UNDERSCORE THE HURT ATTACHED TO THAT KIND OF THINKING, INCLUDING POWERFUL REMARKS FROM Wilhelmina YAZI, THE WOMAN WHO WAS PART OF THE YAZI MARTINEZ LAWSUIT
5: children are starved of equal opportunity in our education system. I experienced it. Marcia, my sister experienced it. All parents experienced it. And we're still experiencing that. So, and then even ever more so with the pandemic, everything just came about. Um, So it's there. We see it. And most of all, culturally relevant education is critical right now. We've been talking about that. We've been, you know, um, asking to implement, implement that in our, into our public school system. And especially now with Ms. Gudgel making these disparaging remarks against our children, that is very heartbreaking, especially for someone in high power to really reflect on our children in that way, to make fun of my children, our children. That's very heartbreaking. You know, as a parent, as a mother, you want the best for your children. I don't ever want anyone to make fun of my children or even myself because of where I come from, who I am, what I believe and such. And nobody should ever go through that, especially our children. As a mother, we're there to help them and provide for them and lead them and set them on the path of life of enough in my Navajo way. So that's why as a mother here, you know, with this whole miss mis- schedule, yes, she made an apology, but I want her to make that an apology into action for her to come back and make things right in our way in Navajo. You know, we have that balance, my harmony. We want that balance back for our children. Right now, that balance is off because we have people in high power that aren't taking my children, our children, seriously. And right now, you know, we want our children to be equal, to looked upon equally, to be included, to be viewed holistically, as all these uh, the other leaders and um, representatives have some that has spoke, you know, it's more than just being a human being. It's the universe. Everything around us, we are spiritual people. And that's how we view our children. Our children are spiritual from the time they're conceived until the time they go on on their own until adulthood. And with that, um, you know, just,
1: We need action. Eric, let me ask you something. Hearing that, is it too late for apologies? Does the LESC just need to say there's been too much damage here? You know, I
2: respect the fact that she apologized and it sounded like a pretty dear apology. Um, But, you know, look, this is a really powerful position. As Mm -hmm. you said in the intro, this is half of the state budget. This is a really, we have an unpaid part time legislature. So senior staff like this have enormous influence, and this is education. This is the group that, that, that tries to make the best decisions for our education policy for kids, mm-hmm. uh, including native kids. You know, there's a, and, and as we know, the Yazzie, the Yazzie lawsuit and a lot of the challenges we've had in native communities for native kids are among the toughest in the state. And we really try to double down to solve some of those problems. So to have, um, I think, careless, um, whether you, whether she thought they were harmless or not or, and or you know, um, not not and not in sort of malicious but I think they have real consequences and I think mm-hmm. it's a reminder for all of us we have to be really careful about how we characterize um you know uh, you know I've heard people use the you know like let's have a powwow right and right. and think it's harmless and in certain situations I've had you know Native colleagues say well that's not appropriate mm-hmm. which is good because mm-hmm. we all need to be correct in behavior, but the comment about the sandals, I think, and, and the context in which it was made, I think really just begs the question, does she, does she understand um, her position and the power and the leadership that's required, given that it's it's such an important part of our, our state government? And mm-hmm. and uh, and also just respecting the voices and pretty uh, well-regarded, you know, Regis Pecos, who was a long-time just after the speaker, and is a very well-respected native leader nationally. Right. Uh, you know, resigned from the committee over it, and I and I and I respect his decision. So I think it's pretty serious, and I I hope they'll take some pretty decisive actions and and not mm-hmm. try to kick it down the road.
1: Mm-hmm. Hey Tom, lawmakers used taxpayer funding to, to investigate Ms. Gudgel, and Mylon Siminett, over at the New Mexican has been really after this story. He was very critical of Senator Big Sol- Bill SOUL'S choice to block 21 non-voting advisory members, legislators, mind you. From hearing the results of that investigation. My question was that a mistake on his part? Should the investigation be public?
4: Uh, Well, remember, first and foremost, Mm -hmm. this is a personnel issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rachel Gudgel and she and I have actually had the opportunity to work together uh, when uh, we were both working at the legislative through Mm -hmm. legislative council services. Uh, You know, her. HER PLIGHT RIGHT NOW IS TRULY A PERSONNEL FROM HER PERSPECTIVE. I THINK Miss YAZZI, uh, YOU KNOW, DEFINITELY HER her REMARKS, VERY HEARTFELT, VERY PERSONAL AS right. FAR AS REFLECTING THE HURT THAT HAS BEEN INFLICTED BY RACHEL Gudgel's COMMENTS. Mm-hmm. AND RACHEL IS, YOU KNOW, HAS APOLOGIZED AND THAT WAS SOMETHING THAT WAS TWO YEARS AGO. AND DURING THAT TIME, uh, YOU KNOW, RACHEL IS REALLY I THINK TAKING THAT TIME TO, YOU KNOW, REALLY EXPLORE A LITTLE BIT MORE ABOUT THE BACKGROUND OF NATIVE AMERICAN COMMUNITIES uh, VISITING uh, PUEBLOS AND ALSO uh, you know ONE OF THE RESERVATIONS JUST TO KIND OF ON HER OWN TIME TO LEARN MORE ABOUT THE CULTURE and, AND FOR THAT I THINK SHE NEEDS TO BE APPLAUDED BUT DOESN'T EXCUSE AT mm-hmm. ALL uh, THE VERY HURTFUL COMMENTS uh, THAT SHE'S HELD HERSELF ACCOUNTABLE FOR. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, LAURA, MS. GUDGEL, AS TOM MENTIONED, HAS APOLOGIZED AND SHE CALLED THE EXPERIENCE HUMBLING. SHE'S SPOKEN TO SOME NATIVE LEADERS IN PERSON, THAT HAS TO MEAN SOMETHING. You know, can, CAN SOMETHING GOOD COME OUT OF THIS? OR SHOULD SHE BE GIVEN A SHORT LEASH TO GO FORWARD AND TRY TO USE THE EXPERIENCE TO FOCUS you know, ON BETTER SERVING NATIVE COMMUNITIES? CAN, can SOMETHING BE SPUN OUT OF THIS THAT'S BETTER FOR EVERYBODY?
3: Um, WELL, I MEAN, CERTAINLY THERE'S ALWAYS A POSSIBILITY OF THAT. I THINK mm-hmm. THAT SHE COULD DEFINITELY GROW INTO A MUCH BETTER PERSON, um, PERSONALLY, THROUGH THE KIND OF um, EFFORTS THAT IT SOUNDS LIKE. Mm-hmm. Tom, TOM MENTIONED THAT SHE'S GOING THROUGH. Mm-hmm. Um, BUT I AGREE WITH TOM. IT DOESN'T EXCUSE THE BEHAVIOR. Um, AND I DO THINK THAT, uh, you, YOU KNOW, SENATOR Souls HAS SOME RESPONSIBILITY HERE AS WELL. Um, THERE IS, IT'S IMPORTANT TO REMEMBER THAT THERE IS A PERSONNEL ASPECT TO THIS, RIGHT? right. THERE'S right. MATTERS TO IMPLEMENT ISSUES. Mm-hmm. SO SOME THINGS DO NEED TO BE KEPT um, CONFIDENTIAL. Uh, BUT AT THE SAME TIME, YOU WANT AS MUCH TRANSPARENCY AS POSSIBLE IN THIS BECAUSE if you're not being transparent, if the public or even members of the committee um, feel like you're, they're being left out, there's always gonna be the question, are you are you trying to protect somebody? Mm-hmm. Um, unreasonably so. And so I think that it's important that people listen to the native voices. And I think a lot of native voices right now, especially with that um, press conference that was held um, a few days ago, mm-hmm. it's important to recognize that they're asking for her, res- her removal. Um, I mean, if she resigned, I think it would certainly also sure. uh, be well received. Mm-hmm. But there has to be action, there has to be consequences to her actions. And this is an opportunity, I think, for the legislature to send a signal mm-hmm. about how important it is uh, for people to be above board here and that words do matter.
4: Right. Um,
3: and it's just, you can't just sort of excuse this
1: sort of thing. That's right. Eric, quick question, getting a little tight on time here, but what do you make of the 5 5 vote, uh, the tie vote? Uh, you know, there's a cynical part of me that says, well, you know that's how you get someone back into a position, and everyone's hands are clean. Just make a, a tie vote. Was there a lack of leadership here, ending up with that tie vote? What's your sense of it?
2: Well, I mean, I, my understanding of how the votes came down, there was definitely it was definitely a bipartisan vote. So um, yeah. that that um, you know, this might be a, a situation where bipartisanship <laughs> did not lead to the best decision. Right? I think. Uh, to, to both Tom and Laura's point. I mean, I, I think ultimately, is that the best way to make a personnel decision? Right. I Mm -hmm. think, um, I do think there should be a much more sort of, uh, direct mechanism to, 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 uh, to discipline in this case. And, you know, to leave it to to some politics, because there were a lot of politics involved in this decision, I think is not the best to resolve this. So, um, I don't think it was the best way to, to decide whether she could stay or go. I think Mm -hmm. there should be a, a much more streamlined, uh, PROCESS FOR THAT.
1: HEY, uh, TOM, REAL QUICK, in ABOUT 10 SECONDS, uh, IT ALMOST FEELS LIKE THIS IS THE PRC WE'VE DEALT WITH FOR SO MANY (laughs) YEARS. AREN'T PEOPLE JUST SORT OF Uh, TIRED OF THIS AT THIS POINT?
4: I THINK THE PRC IS ITS OLD, YOU KNOW, THE PRC <laughs> IS GETTING FIXED. LSC, I THINK THIS IS A, a VERY BIG, SIGNIFICANT BLIP IN THE RADAR. Uh, BUT you know, THE LSC HAS ALWAYS BEEN A VERY INTEGRITY-BASED ORGANIZATION, AND mm-hmm. I THINK THAT THE ELECTED OFFICIALS WILL KEEP IT THAT WAY.
1: THERE YOU GO. WE'RE UP AGAINST THE CLOCK THIS WEEK WITH THE JAM-PACKED SHOW, BUT WE APPRECIATE ALL OF YOU, OUR PANELISTS, FOR YOUR THOUGHTS THIS WEEK, AND WE'LL SEE YOU AGAIN SOON. FINAL THOUGHTS FROM ME IN A MOMENT. And we
0: will leave you on this podcast with a little bit of extra content this week. Gene Grant, our host, you've probably heard him talk about it several times, but he has been very interested in the ongoing conversation about the safety of our arroyos as we have had massive waters rush through with some of these monsoon downpours that we've had in recent weeks. We have had lives lost in recent weeks. And there is new call in the Albuquerque City Council to revisit uh, an old vote and an old study about a warning system for the Arroyos here in Albuquerque. Not an easy task by any stretch of the imagination, but earlier this week on Facebook Live, Gene sat down with the City Council President, Cynthia Borrego, to talk about what uh, they are considering and what she is after and what it might all lead to. So here is that conversation.
1: Thank you, Kevin. Really appreciate it. Hey, guys, welcome to a very special Facebook Live. An hour later than usual. That's okay. We're here to accommodate our city council president, Cynthia Borrego, who's going to be with us to talk about something that's very much in our minds all over the city right now because of unfortunate circumstances, and that is our ditches in our arroyos, now that we have been revisited by a for real monsoon, we are now dealing with tragically something we haven't had to deal with for about a decade. And that is awareness of the dangers and Council President Borrego wants to move us forward on this idea because honestly guys, we've seen five people swept away in flash flooding in the past couple of weeks, four died and we wanna talk about that. So City Council President Borrego, thank you very much for joining us. I really appreciate you taking some time out of the day today.
6: Thank you, Jane. It's always a pleasure to be on your program. I watch your program all the time. So, and I just watched your latest program, one of your latest programs on redistricting, which I learned a lot from. So I hope that, I hope this is informational today.
1: Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for saying that because information is what it's all about right now. Take us through the, um, the ask, so to speak. You've asked our we have a very specific committee who looks at these things that might be news to a lot of folks who may have moved here actually in the last 10 years or so. Tell us what, what you want the committee to look at, why and what you want to come out of it for your own decision-making.
6: Thank you so much. Um, so we're here today to discuss a bill, which I just proposed. It's R21-188 if anyone wants to look it up on Legistar. Yep. Legistar of course is our city council website. Um, And what it is, is a bill encouraging the Albuquerque Ditch and Water Safety Task Force to conduct a study to improve uh, the safety of stormwater channels, arroyos and irrigation canals. And just for the public's information, we have about a hundred miles of uh, arroyos and water channels throughout the city. Uh, and that includes east and west side, South Valley, um, you know, North Valley. I mean, it, it, that's a lot of mileage in mm-hmm. Albuquerque. And, of course, we have a couple of organizations that are involved with the city. Uh, the city owns some of those channels. Uh, of course, the uh, uh, AMAFCO, which is the Albuquerque Metropolitan Arroyo Flood Control Authority, they own uh, another good portion of those. And then we have uh, middle uh, Rio Grande Conservancy District, which has uh, authority over a lot of our ditches. Um, So there's a lot of coordination that occurs. Um, You know, we also have, you know, a lot of coordination that occurs with the fire department, um, Mm -hmm. DOT, Department of Transportation. Um, I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, of who's involved in this water safety task force mm-hmm. so basically what my bill does is it asks that we look at all of these um, all of these channels all of these arroyos uh, to see how we can improve uh, public safety mm-hmm. and as you mentioned there have been a couple of deaths in in recent days unfortunately with the monsoon.
1: It it can really be frightening when you think about how easily these things can happen. I'm amazed at that 100 miles. I I think that would surprise most people. And in your bill, what's interesting is you're asking for not just that map of of the stormwater channel, arroyos and irrigation canal locations, but where people are are frequenting. And I think that's an interesting distinction because it's really, it seems like a handful of places out of all that 100 miles worth of, of ditches and arroyos. Am I following that correctly?
6: Well, you are absolutely following that correctly. Um, the problem that we're having is that, you know, people are um, using the the arroyos to live in and play in, and you know we have um, we have people that go in there and and that's where they set up camp, and those encampments can, you know, while when they're dry. I mean, they seem like a perfect shelter from the elements, right? Yeah. Um, but then we also have people going in there that are using them with their ATVs and they're they're playing in the arroyos. So, um, you know, we have a variety of individuals that are using the arroyos for things that they're not really meant for. Um, they think that they're okay, but then when, a, when a, uh, the water comes, and when we have situations like we have lately with the monsoon, that water comes swiftly yeah. and there's not time to for warning to get out in a timely fashion. And some of those arroyos are, you know, 10 feet deep. Um, so it's not it's not something that's simple that you can just say, oh, yeah, well, I'll get I'll, I'll go in and I'll stay there for a while and then I'll just get out. Um, we've lost in the last couple of weeks. We've lost four lives.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You mentioned warning system, which obviously is a natural place to uh, get into that part of the subject. You know, you you in your study, in your ask of the of the group, you want to talk about warning systems as well as other things, not just a warning system. Uh, your basic, I'm interested. Before I have some questions on that, your basic philosophy on a warning system. I'm curious. Council President, where you are on this. Is this something you support? Is this something you want to see studied more in depth? What's your your sense of how you want to see a warning system? Well,
6: Jean, you know that my background is is in city planning.
1: Mm -hmm. And,
6: you know, as city planners, we always look at all the alternatives possible. Um, I know that in the past, there was a recommendation for a warning system, a sound system, and there were issues with that. Um, But you know, part of those issues and after looking and creating the bill, we kind of looked at what some of those issues were. Um, Some of them were cost, uh, where is it appropriate, which are the higher, which are the areas that are more frequented by uh, individuals. Um, The other thing is, you know, if you sound off an alarm system, I mean, when does it become you know, an emergency and, and non-emergency if those things go off and then people are are not knowing if it's really an emergency or not. Uh, and oftentimes people ignore those things. Right. And then the other thing is, you know, you have people in there with mental health issues that really, you know, and throughout our city, we have that issue. Um, you know, you don't want to scare people either. I mean, you don't want to create a situation that is, you know, um uh, not healthy. Mm-hmm. So I think in my estimation of the bill, we want the task force to look at all the alternatives possible, what other cities are doing maybe across the country, uh, because obviously there there's Arroyos and there's these types of channels throughout the country. And what are some alternative um, options that the city can look at funding in the future that would alleviate some of these problems for public safety. And so those are the things that I'm hoping that the task force, you know, I'm gonna leave, leave the options in the hands of the experts because obviously I'm not a, I'm not the expert, but we have fire going in there. You know, maybe there's a, maybe there's safety nets, maybe there's more, um, you know, um, They have these little metal um, steps in certain areas of the Arroyos where people can actually pull themselves out. Maybe they need to look at some of those issues. Um, You know, I I don't know. And I, I think that's something that I will really leave to the experts to look at. But I want us to look at a comprehensive review of You know what are those solutions
1: that makes sense uh council council president you mentioned that there was a study done a bit ago and it's done by a person gary Tinagero. i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing his name correctly i apologize t-i-n-a-g-e-r-o from the albuquerque fire department back in 2012 did a big study called designing a flash flood warning system for the city of albuquerque and it's a very interesting read. We have a link to it in our comment thread below uh, right here as well. And I'm going to encourage folks to read it. There's a lot to take out of it. And one of the things that was interesting to me, uh, Counselor, was uh, in that report, it had studied the amounts of incidents for the previous 10 years up to that 2012 point. And it turned out 13 out of 16 rescue calls uh, in that time period were for the Embudo uh you know that area that we all know that's famous by yes the avuto channel right exactly right and it seemed like that was the most logical place to start when you've got a place that's clearly at that time i can't speak to today that was back in 2012 so i don't know what the transient problem is today under that particular uh, diversion channel but i'm going to assume it's the same would you agree that might be a good place to start just with the Embudo channel? You know, just I
6: I think yes, I think the these larger channels are definitely um they're they're inviting because you know if you have an ATV, I mean where do you go to and mm-hmm. I just had somebody the other day say to me, you know, counselor, you guys should find a, a place for ATVs because I get I get a lot of complaints here in District Five of uh, people playing in the arroyos on their ATVs and the residents next door are like, you know, that's not, I don't think it's legal, Um, but I think the Abuto channel might be a place to start. The North diversion channel is obviously another huge channel that carries a lot of water in Albuquerque. I mean, I have some huge channels in my area over here that are not concrete lined actually they are underneath if if you look at the way that they design them and i've learned this obviously from having served on the flood control board um, some of the uh, the liners are underneath the dirt so you can't always tell if they're concrete lined or not Mm -hmm. Uh, but i have some really huge channels like the mariposa uh, black arroyo Um, i mean there's a, a lot of them on the west side as well but I think that we need to look at where these problems have occurred, mm-hmm. where we have lost lives, And you know, I would encourage the task force to take a look at all of the channels if possible. And, and I know that you know that will cost some some money. And that's what I'm asking in, in my bill is that we appropriate some money to fund this study. And uh, we're currently looking for that funding, uh, for funding that maybe hasn't been used in the past. Right. Um, and I'm, I, you know, I may consider some of my set aside for that.
1: In in considering, like you said, you're in District Five. It's a citywide problem. There's no one councilor that's you know bearing the brunt of all of this. You know, one of the other things that's in that uh, report from 2012 that I found very interesting was. Uh, this fellow and the other AFR folks, Albuquerque Fire and Rescue, had reached out to Sandia National Labs for technical help and, and expertise. And it looked like there was some agreement there from Sandia to get involved. Is that something you would support as well?
6: I would completely support that. You know, um, the Flood Control Authority and the city always works with the Corps of Engineers, for example. I mean, there's, there's a, a, a number of agencies that we would absolutely welcome in this study. And I think that, you know, it's, as I say, it's always the more minds, the better. I mean, we we would probably come up with better solutions that way. And and if there's funding that we need to help, um, you know, as we move forward with the solutions, if, if there's funding that we need, we could use their help, is what I'm right. trying to say, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. You And
1: know, you know, I'm appreciative of what you're saying, because again, I gotta refer back to this study, one of the things that really came through council president was how not just how complicated this is <laughs> but how many stakeholders there are well beyond AMAFCA in the city i mean there's a whole group of folks here that have to really put their heads together on this it can't be one set of folks picking up the the heavy lifting here are, are, are you tasking yourself to bring all those groups together by issuing this i'm
6: i'm absolutely um, helpful that, I, that that could happen. And I would absolutely encourage that. Um, if there's anything I can do, as a matter of fact, I have a couple of amendments to the bill because of course we wrote the bill and then you go back and you look at it and you think, right. okay, well maybe we, we need to make a few changes. There's a couple of folks that we wanna add. And I, if Sandia is serious about being part of this, I would love to include them in this task force um and let's get as many you know heads together and let's sit down and look at how how do we save lives that's really what that's what initiated my uh stance on this bill is when i saw the news report about people dying you know and monsoon i don't think we expected this much moisture in albuquerque this year but it's great i mean it's a welcome thing but when you're losing lives um you know that's uh, that's an issue for me, and that's a public safety issue, as far as I'm concerned.
1: I appreciate that absolutely, um, Council President. I can't thank you enough for spending some time with us. We know we have a busy day, and you got to uh, get back to some other things as well. I have to, by the way, while I get you, I got to congratulate you on your ability to manage Zoom City Council meetings every time. <laughs> Every time I watch you, I'm like, oh, Council President, she's doing so great at this. I would lose my mind. I have to, I have to tip my hat to you.
6: <laughs> oh, thank you so much. You know, Gene, we've had a lot of training in the last year and a half, right? Yes.
1: <laughs> you know, I,
6: I was looking forward to going back in person yeah. uh, August 2nd, and when I when I realized that the variant, you know, was climbing, I mean, the numbers were climbing again, I was kind of disappointed that we weren't. I have not had one council meeting yet in person. And I'm really, I really am looking forward to that.
1: I can imagine, I could just imagine. Thank thank goodness for all your collective staffs who I know are keeping us all together, by the way. Yes, thank-
6: they are. I mean, we couldn't do this without them. Let me tell you.
1: Not at all, not at all. Yeah. City Council President Borrego, thank you very much for spending some time with us. And may we ta- task you again to speak on this further once the report back from the task force comes in, I'd love to follow up and see if we can get a community dialogue going on this. I
6: would love to. I think we would really have some great input from Albuquerque Fire and Rescue, from AMAFCA, from, you know, uh, the Corps of Engineers. They're they're always welcome. I mean, all of these groups, DOT, the city, I mean, great minds can do great things. I always believe that.
1: It's, it's quite the list. It really is. I appreciate you telling the folks how that goes. And by the way, I should note, we did reach out to Albuquerque Fire and Rescue uh, to possibly join us today and, and uh, did not quite hear back from them, but we will at some point. So it's, it's, it's no biggie. Council President, thank you very much. We'll let you go with that beautiful blue sky behind you. So. <laughs> oh,
6: yes. I'm sitting out in my patio. So I thought that would be just great today. I, I was going to go to an, uh, an Arroyo and I thought, well, this is the best I could do right now.
1: Just don't, don't, no, don't go to an arroyo. Don't go to an arroyo. <laughs> <laughs> I see some clouds in the sky. Don't go to uh, an arroyo.
6: It's really great to see you, Jane. Thank you so much for having me today.
1: Thank you, Council President. Really appreciate it. Uh, All right, folks, we'll see you Friday night on at seven o'clock on Channel 5.1. We've got some great subjects coming up then. We're still deciding on those issues. We're, actually, we just decided. We're still deciding on how to present them, I should say, appropriately. Uh, but we will see you then. Again, if you have any thoughts on this issue on uh, ditch and arroyo safety, boy, I would love to hear your thoughts in the comments. I really would. This is There's a lot of things at play here for people that abut ditches and arroyos. Do they really want to hear a warning system when they know better to stay out of these things? Is it for them? Is it for the people just in the ditches? How do you make these things heard over loud thunder if rain's coming down? How loud do they need to be? How impactful is that on neighborhoods? It's a lot of things here that we have to think about when it comes to a warning system. And I have to say again, as I hold it here on my iPad, uh, this, I'm going to encourage you once again to do read this 2012 study that the uh, Albuquerque Fire Department uh, person put together that you, i tell you, it'll really catch you up on this in some really profound ways. So until then, I'll see you next time. And next week, another Facebook Live come up right on Wednesday midday. We'll see you there.
0: So much more for you, as always, on all of our social media platforms, whether it's YouTube or Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. You can find a lot of other stuff throughout the week, and especially the conversation with you. We love tossing ideas back and forth, getting thoughts. Those really inform us as we finalize the show each week. So we encourage you, if you haven't already, to follow us on any of those places and let us know what you think about anything related to the show. Join us for our next episode as well. We've got a couple really interesting interviews updating our groundwater war investigation, looking into PFAS contamination. These are chemicals that were found in firefighting foams on many of our military installations. We focused a lot on Cannon and Holloman Air Force bases where we know there are really high levels of these chemicals in the groundwater. A lot of health risks associated with these and they are hard, if not impossible, to clean up. We recently talked to a former firefighter at Cannon Air Force Base who uh, worked there back in the 90s. It is a must-listen-to interview. You will hear how he talked about uh, at the time when these chemicals were not banned, but the research was clear that these were a danger, that the leaders in the military just told firefighters like Kevin Ferrara, who we talked to, that it was just soap and water, nothing to worry about used day in and day out for things not just about fire suppression because they were described as that and also these firefighters are having all kinds of problems now trying to find out their exposure and their health risks with the veterans affairs and the military so just a great interview we hope you'd come back and give that one a listen also go back and listen to any of our past episodes as well until then Stay safe, stay healthy, and thanks for listening.